Welcome to today's podcast by Preacher, as he provides sound teaching on the pure and undiluted truth of God's Word, with life application that inspires you to live a holy life pleasing to God. We pray that these teachings will inspire you to live out your faith daily with confidence, be assured of your salvation in Christ, and God's unconditional love for you. Our scripture lesson this morning will be taken from the book of Acts, the first chapter, beginning with the sixth verse. Listen to what God has to say. When the apostles met together with Jesus, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time give the kingdom back to Israel? Jesus said to them, the time and occasion are set by my father's own authority, and it is not for you to know when they will be, but you will be filled with power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be witnesses for me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud as they watched him, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They still had their eyes fixed on the sky as he went away. When two men dressed in white suddenly stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why do you stand there looking up at the sky? This Jesus who was taking up from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. Lord, help us to believe what we have just read. If you would please, and would give your mind for just a few moments, I want you to think about this most amazing thing. I got out the concordance the other day and was going to look up the, all the passages where it had something to say about power and about the spirit and power. And as I looked at that whole list of there within the book, I, I gave it up. I said, I'm not going to take time to do that. You'd be amazed at both in the Old Testament and the New Testament where it talks about something that you and I are supposed to have. Now keep in mind these three words, filled with power, filled with power. Bob Keck, we know him as a man that is living today, a great Christian, he's written several books, and one on synergy. The Spirit of Synergy. You remember if you have read that book that he's got one chapter. I don't know what the rest of the book is about. But there's one chapter that's worth that book. The price of that book. And that is when he is talking about the power. And he stimulated my thinking in such a way that I agree almost, I think, with every word that he says in that chapter. And that's unusual. But we do have the words. Now, dear one, there's not a one of us here this morning, but what can't talk a good religion? We, we know the right things to say, and by and large, we know the right things to say at the right time. And we can talk a right good religion, and we know all the words that, uh, that we should know as Christians. And we know the Lord Jesus Christ, and we name him as our Savior and our Lord. And we go about this business daily of trying to make some type of an effort uh, living a Christian life. But Bob raises a question. And I raise it with you this morning. And he raises it this way. As he looks at the church. And as he considers us as, as God's people. 
And as we consider ourselves as an individual in God's kingdom, I raise the question with you this morning, but where is the power of God? But where is the power of God? We've been told by the learned ones that we only use about 10% of our mental ability and capability to think with and to direct uh, these lives of ours. Not too long ago, I happened to be talking to a man that was the superintendent of uh, building a four-lane highway here within our city. And they had all that massive equipment out there. I'm, I'm always fascinated by that stuff but it, because it has such power. You know, it just takes bison to this earth and pulls out great chunks of it and just spits it out just without any effort at all, seemingly. And as I was talking to this man and standing there watching this big equipment and the men that work and labor at, the, at their responsibility and their job, came out some way or another that he told me, and I've forgotten how, he said, and for us to be able to, to maintain what uh, we need to and make a profit, uh, that this equipment has got to be 90% productive, that we have got to have 90% of our power at all times. If we don't, it means that uh, we may uh, lose or go into the hole. And so we've got to have it that it's uh, at its capacity, 95% of its capacity to operate, or 90% of its capacity to operate. Now, I thought about that a while. It seems to me that somehow or another that we only operate spiritually at about 10% of our capacity. You know, I'm amazed. I am flat out amazed that we get as much done as we do. If it was in a business that had been bankrupt a long time ago, they would have been out of business. I wonder what would happen to us as an individual and as a church if we would come to the place where we'd operate at 90% of our ability and capability in the kingdom of God. Now, dear ones, I do not have, I think, to labor the point this morning that what the smart people tell us about the, our not being too productive and not using all of the things or this mind that God has given to us. I think that's a fact that all of us believe to some degree. The problem with us is that have we lived so long in this fashion, being so unproductive and without the power that we ought to have, that we think that this is the way that we ought to live? Have we grown so comfortable in this society in which we live that we really do not believe that there is another way for us to live. Is it not so that we wonder about these people who go around? You know, I'm thinking about a fellow right now. <clears throat> I was visiting the other night with one of our neighbors close by, and we happen to know a man that we call friend. He calls him friend, I call him friend, but he's a character. But he's a beautiful person. Every time he sees me, he wants to baptize me or something. You know, he thinks I'm not where I'll be, but he... And he just, you know, he just... Filled with enthusiasm. Now he's been this way for years. I've known him ever since I was knee high to a grasshopper almost. And he's always been that way. Do we look at these kind of people, you know, that go around and filled with this enthusiasm? And do we kind of look at them and think that they're weird? Do we look at these people and say, hey, something's that's a put on. Isn't it really not real? They they're they're just it's a put on. They uh, they're just acting the situation. If one fills with the Holy Spirit and operating at uh, 90% of his capacity, if he would come among us 
Would we think that this guy, this character is a fake? Is it a possibility that there is within our grasp and within our reach that which can turn us on, so to speak, from the bottom of our soul to the top of our head? And it's really not a fake? Is it a possibility that a man can lay hold of this power that God has for us and there isn't anything upon the face of this earth that can stop him? I don't care what it is. You know, our forefathers used to sing an old hymn. Oh, we hear it once in a while. Most of us have it hid away in our memory somewhere. There's power. There is power, wonderful working power, and the blood of the Lamb. Now, folks, they were singing about something that you and I are trying to talk about this morning. Christ said that he was leaving in order that the Comforter might come and that this power might come into the world and that we might through him be able to do greater things than he had done while he was walking here upon the face of this earth. Now, you think about that statement. Here in our scripture, the last thing that the Lord Jesus Christ says to his disciples and to us as well. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power. I ask the question again, where is our power? Was he just putting on two? Did he sell us a bill of goods? Or did he really leave us something in this world that you and I can lay hold of? Now to most of us this morning, somewhere, someplace, is this not so? You stood before God's people. And you stood before God's people because something had happened deep within your heart. And you made a commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even before you got before the altar. And you said, Lord, some to the fact, Lord, I surrender my heart and my soul to you. And then you were baptized. And you had witnesses there to witness the fact that you were baptized. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you something, dear ones, at that very time was committed to you the power that we're talking about this morning. The power of the Holy Spirit. Now you will want to say with me this morning, well, preacher, I don't feel it, didn't feel it, haven't felt it, and still don't feel it today. He didn't say he was going to feel it. You know, how many eons of years did the Tennessee River run wild? How many? Until in your lifetime and mine, some years ago, some engineers decided that that river could be dammed. And they put a dam across the river. And if you have ever been down there when they have those generators and those gates open, and they have that thing running full blast, you can hear deep within the concrete encasement of that dam the power that that water is generating as it goes through those turbines. And it spins it out and those heavy cables carry that power across this land of ours. This power is ours to claim, but it's just like the river. It's there, and we can let it run if we want to without harnessing it and directing it and turn it into one of the greatest powers within our life that any man or woman has ever laid hold of or ever will lay hold of. We pray, some of us, every morning. All of us ought to. Lord, let me be a channel of your blessing this week. But somehow or another, I think we seem to think about this power like we think about our money. We have to spend it sparingly. And we have to save it up for a rainy day. 
Well, dear ones, we just don't do this kind of power that, that way. It is precious, it is great, it is wonderful. Uh, but we just don't go about it that way. It's not to be done that way. Let me ask you a question. What have you done within the last week, or what do you intend to do next week, that is so great that it's going to fail unless you have the power of the Holy Spirit working within your life to accomplish it? Oh, I know what it is. You've made a pledge to the church and not able to pay it. <laughs> I had this experience, and I said that I had this experience the other and I guess it's been about three or four months ago. No, it's about three or four months before I came here. I was called one night, I think it was about 11 o'clock at night. I was called by a young lady about between the age of 21 and 23, I suppose. A young lady that lives here within our city, belong to the church. Um, she called me and she was sobbing so, crying and sobbing so hard. I could even tell by her crying who she was. And I knew that something bad had happened. And she said after she was able to talk, which seemed like a long time for me, but I'm sure it was only about a half a minute, she said, Preacher, I'm in trouble. Now you can imagine what went through my mind. A young lady living here with an apartment within our city with another young lady. Uh, you can think of it quickly, run through your mind all kinds of terrible things that could could happen to uh, to a young person 11 o'clock at night and I was just filled with with dreading I said well what in the world is wrong she says I have been looking at my bank book and my checkbook and she says I have found that I cannot pay my pledge this month all of it well told her how you made that pledge in good faith between you and your Lord and that's the way it still stands tonight. Now, something to think about, be concerned about, but not distressed at the level that you are. Now, you let us think about that come tomorrow when the sun is up and we are not so tired and we can think properly. Well, she did. And we didn't think further about it. Didn't dismiss it. It's important. And then about Two or three weeks later, at the end of the service, big smile on her face, she says, Preacher, I have been able to catch up with my pledge, and we're taking care of it. And I said to her, I said, Well, honey, you only know that you're supposed to give as the Lord has blessed you. And she, I thought that would cover it. She said, Yes, Preacher, I know. And she says, That's the problem. She says, The Lord has blessed me. What are you really doing? that takes the power of the Holy Spirit within your life to accomplish what you want to accomplish for God and for his kingdom. I, I go to the other extreme of this back years ago. Another lady, at the close of the service, a little lady, she wouldn't have weighed 100 pounds wet. Well, anyway, she's in my first church. And close of the service, so she went out and she says, Preacher, said, Says, you have offended me. Said, you have hurt my feelings. And now that's a distressing thing for anyone to say to a preacher. I don't care how young they are or whether they're middle-aged or where they are. But for a lady at that time I know had been on her knees praying longer than I had been alive. And for her to say something like that to me distressed me to no end. 
And so I asked her. I said, well, you come back in here and sit down. And of course, you can bet my mind was spending 90 miles. Now, what dumb thing had I said to hurt her, her feelings? I wouldn't offend anyone, especially a lady like that. And so I asked her to come back and sit down. She said, now, you had to never remember Candace here. Now, you know what that is. That's when we underwrite the budget of our church. I said, yes, we did. And I had remembered. It began to hit me then. I remember going down that list with the finance committee and coming to her name. I said, fellas, now don't go see her. That's because uh, the, she is uh, having a hard time and she's barely able to make ends meet. And I said, now don't go. Don't go. You see the way I was thinking? I said, don't go and give her another burden. I said, don't go. And so they didn't. And she says, preacher, says, now you went to all the other members of the church, didn't you? I said, yes, we did. So she says, you didn't come to me. I said, no, ma'am. She says, well, preacher. She says, am I not a member of this church? I said, yes, ma'am, you sure are. Very much so. Very much so. She says, well, I would like to be treated like the other members. And when you have something that needs to be done within this church, and you call on all of us and give us an opportunity to respond to it, she says, don't you play the part of God in my life. Let that be a matter between me and my God. I want you to present to me and let me decide. Don't you decide for me what God and I will do together. And then she laid, I can feel it right now. She laid that little old bony hand of hers upon my arm, sort of to comfort the blow because she had hit me hard. And she knew she had, and rightly so. And she laid that little old bony hand upon my arm and I felt that I had been touched by the Lord. Power. Oh, I had sense enough to know that what she was saying was straight from the Spirit of God. Now, dear ones, I want to tell you something. I don't care who you are in this church. When we get ready to underwrite this budget, <clears throat> you're not going to be left out. <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're not. You may be getting mad at me for doing it, but you're not going to, you're going to be included. It's a matter between you and your God. That's the way that it is. And I want to tell you something, dear one. When you come to that place to understand that, I'll tell you there's power that you haven't uh, ever laid hold of before until you come to that place where you see what we're talking about. You know, I like the story of Samson. I really do. I read these stories of the Old Testament, and they're so wonderful. And they speak to the, very, to the very point. Now you know about Samson. You remember one time, it's in the book of Judges, if you want to read this story. Judges 16th chapter, just read it for yourself. You know, uh, Samson, of course, was one of the judges. And he was always doing some things he had no business doing. And you remember he went out and got mad at the Philistines. And uh, he just went out and just tore up their wheat fields. And it's a very interesting way he did it, too. You may want to read that story. And he just just tore the, their fields apart. And so at that time, the Philistines were over God's people, Jewish people. And so the people of God came to Samson and said, Samson, now don't you know we're under the dictates of those people? Now they're going to make us pay for it. And the only way we can get out of this deal for us suffering for what you had no business of doing, so we're going to take you down here and give you to the Philistines. And Samson says, all right, you can give me to them and you can tie me up and take me down there. But... Uh, You've got to promise me one thing. said, you won't fall on me and kill me yourself. That you'll let the Philistines do it. He said, all right, we, we swear that we will not kill you. 
after we get you tied up, we'll take you down there and deliver you to those characters. They'll do it for us. And so you remember the scripture says they tied old Samson up with some new rope. They take him over to the town where the Philistine garrison was, some thousand men or more. And when they saw old Samson coming over there and they threw him out there on the ground, all tied up like a sack of potatoes, they really went into a frenzy. They were just, you know, just having a great time. They were rejoicing because they hated Samson, just hated him with a passion. And then it says, the Spirit of God came mightily upon Samson. Mightily upon him. I like that word, mightily upon Samson. It says he was over, oversupplied. And it says he broke the ropes, they melted off of him. And he got up and seized the jawbone of the ass that had just died and took it and killed more than a thousand Philistine soldiers. Where's the power? Where is the power? Well, I'll tell you, if the Spirit of God hadn't might have come upon him, he'd have been a dead duck because they were going to kill him. What have you done? And what are you doing that calls for the power of God to be in your life or it's not going to be done? Now, you come over to the New Testament and when it talks about this power, you know what they call it? The dunamis. And that's the word from which we get the word dynamite. Do you have any dynamite in your life? Well, maybe a firecracker too, but not, not much more than that. Where do we come? The dunamis. Jesus is saying, I'm going to leave the dynamite with you. I am leaving a power within this world that, that's going to make you go throughout the world. You're going to have the power to do it. Anywhere and everywhere upon the face of this earth. To carry the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Dear ones, have we become so comfortable? Have we become so comfortable? Is our society ever in the history of man a group of men and women that are more comfortable than we are today? You know when old Samson got to the place when he began to think of himself more than the kingdom of God. When he began to think of his comfort. When he began to think of his own desire of his body. When he began to think of about the things that we thought about and we think about daily. Do you know what happened to him? He lost his two eyes. We find him grinding at the mill. And then he prayed to God. Philistines called him out to have sport with him. He stood between the pelts. You know, he prayed. Committed himself to the, to the Lord again. And it says again, the Spirit of God fell mightily upon him and he pulled the pelts of the temple down. Martin Pauley, a British writer, has written a book, The Private Future. It's blood-chilling when you read it. And he talks about the, the private person. And he says, we have insulated and isolated ourselves in such a way that we're strangers. And it is his prediction that this isolation is going to destroy us. It's going to destroy us. Have we become so comfortable that we've forgotten who we are and what we are and what we've been called to be? The Apostle Paul said, for him to live is for Christ to live. You'll find him right now to Philippians, the first chapter of the 21st verse. For me to live is for Christ to live. And God intended for every person, you and me, for us to have that ability and that capability and that possibility. That's exactly the reason he died. The question I would ask you this morning before we close, do you believe that? Do you really believe that for you to live is for Christ to live? Well, about maybe not halfway, a little bit. Maybe a possibility. No, it's not the way it is. That's not the way it is. That's the way it can be if you will square your thinking 
And you will see what God has committed to you. For you to live is for Christ to live. That's precisely what God intended when he gave to us the Lord Jesus Christ. Think about it. Believe it with your heart and your soul. And lay hold and take charge of the power that God has made possible for you. To close with, I tell you two stories. I read one of these stories. And the medical journal that comes out of this, the New England Journal on Medicine. The most interesting article that I've ever read in a medical journal. But Norman Cousins was in, in 76, was in communist Russia, Moscow. And he got sick there, deathly sick, and went to the doctors that were there. And they told him that he was dying. Nothing that medical profession could do with him. He had the type of disease and sickness was unknown that the treatment for it to ever be cured. He was good as dead. They flew him home, got an ambulance, and came home and prepared himself to die. Now, Norman Cousin, someone placed in his hand a little old book, The Stress of Life. And he read that book and he believed what he read. And he read that a negative thinking person uh, that uh, if you think negative in a positive way and really work at it, that it'll kill you. You'll destroy yourself. And he thought to himself, he said, now, if that is so with negative thinking, maybe I can reverse the situation if I think good thoughts in a positive way. Now, he says that he enjoyed the old Laurel and Hardy movies. And he went out and bought four or five reels of those movies. And went and locked himself, as deathly sick as he was, into a motel room, I believe it was, somewhere in our country. And he would run these old movies. And when he started out, he could only watch them about three or four or five minutes. And then his pain would return. But he forced himself to watch those movies because he would laugh at them and laugh. And if you read that article, you know that this man completely recovered to astound the medical profession. That was five, was written up in this medical journal. Doctors had never heard tell of this thing ever happening before. Simply because, as in his own testimony, because he changed his way of thinking. And I want to tell you something, dear ones, that there is power in believing that you have the ability and capability to direct the power of God. Do you know that? Now... You have the power. You have the ability to direct the power of God. The learned ones have told us a long time ago, the way we think, we control our blood, we control our heart, we control this, we control something else. And if you doubt that, I've got a piece of equipment over at the parcel. It's cost me somewhere in the neighborhood of $1,000 a bed. It's a monitor that can monitor your body and what's happening to you. And when I hook you to that machine, you can see the dial. But the way you think, you can control the negative or the positive on that machine. You can listen to the clicks or you can see the hand as it advances or as it retreats. Does it scare you to know that you have within your ability and capability such awesome power to direct the power of God? Well, I tell you, you do have. You do have. Perhaps our greatest sin is found in the way we think. Now, quickly close. Years gone by, <clears throat> I was at Brandenburg. Man called me, went over to his house, and I tell you, I never saw a pig pen any dirtier in his house. Now, I've seen some dirty pig pens, 
But that was the dirtiest, filthiest place that I have ever seen in my life. Long ago, three or four months ago, his wife and family left him. I have never seen so many beer cans, beer bottles, and whiskey bottles in my life. He's in there like cordwood, you know, just everywhere. And he was the most pitiful, respectable-looking person that I have ever seen in my life. I've never seen anyone down here in any part of our city that looked more unkept than that man. He says, Preacher, he says, I'm at the last rung on the ladder. He says, I'm down as far as I can go. I have no one else to go get me any beer or whiskey. And he says, I'm out of money, and they're not going to buy it for me. And he says, I can't go get it myself. He said, I'd have killed myself. He says, but I'm too chicken. I'm just too chicken. And after I talked to him, I said, well, if you're so keen on killing yourself, I said, why don't you kill yourself for a good cause? Why don't you kill yourself for a good cause? Pick out some wonderful cause and tell yourself, I'm going to burn myself out for it. I'm going to 18 hours a day or 24 hours a day, I'm going to fight this cause and I'm going to work at it until I keel over. Well, isn't his foggy mind? He laid hold to that thought. Somehow, I don't know how he did it. But he did it. Yes, I do. I know God was there. This powerful spirit that I'm talking about. Somehow, I know his foggy mind. He got it straightened out. Six months later, you would have never known that was the same man. No way. He was an engineer. Capable man. Learned man. And then he put his mind to work and believed it. He believed it. He believed it. Right now, so far as I know, the last time I heard of this man, he's in Dallas, Texas, opened a business out there and became a wealthy man. A wealthy man. Got his family back. Now, folk, I'm telling you that there's a power that at your fingertips. Paul says it's closer to you than that. It's in the very air that you breathe. And I want to tell you something, that you have the possibility and the capability of laying hold of that power, and it's none other than the power of God, or the power of the Holy Spirit, or the dunamis, I don't care what you call it. It's there for you to direct for your own good and for the good of God's people. Bob Keck, you asked the right question. We have the right words, but where is the power? Could it be? We haven't claimed it. Our Father Oh, help us to believe what we hear and help us to put it in operation within our lives today for we ask it in the name of Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you were blessed. We pray the Holy Spirit will make you a doer of His words, finishing the work He started in making you more like Christ for the transformation of this world and preparation for heaven. 